on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and we have to move this microphone because it's too far over where it wasn't supposed to be. Okay, welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm so glad you've tuned in. Three things we're going to talk about today. One, Israel's brutal 9-11 and their robust defense. As my first five, might be longer than five. We have a guest in studio, John Guandolo. I cannot wait to have you to have have you be able to hear all that he understands about Hamas, Islam, what's happening in Israel and beyond. And then third, if we get to it, Hillary's psychosis and conspiracy theories. And I will tell you, of course, at the end why these stories matter to you. But to start on Israel, I want to take you back to how all of us felt when we woke up in America on September 11th, our September 11th, 2001. Beyond horror and shock and grief and outrage, very soon after the discussion began, why did this happen? Once we figured out it was Islamic jihadists who had attacked America and to many people's view unprovoked, the conversation was, why did they do this? Why would they hate us? And that was a headline on one or more news articles. Why do they hate us? We instantly went to the assumption that the attack on America must have been justified because of something we did or didn't do or something, uh, some wrong thing in history, because it never occurred to us that an attack would happen with no cause, that there would just be nothing we had done to provoke it, but it just occurred. Over time, and if you listen to this show very often, we've been over many times over the years, talking about what we came to realize what had occurred actually had the most to do with long-standing um, belief by some segment of Islam in the idea that jihad is normal to be expected that you know you you attack your enemies and modern day uh, islam the two biggest enemies of modern day islam are considered to be america and christianity kind of go together and israel and judaism and so we're going to talk more about with our guest today about hamas who was acknowledging they are the ones attacking israel and but i want to just share a bit about the brutality that brutality that's occurring there and the reason is this it is, you know, that famous uh, statement, I think it was Stalin who said, you know, one death is a tragedy, a million is a, is a statistic, and how you can almost become impersonalized. Or, and I've seen people, I mean, relatively responsible adult people putting out in social media, oh, this is just, you know, the Israelis and the Palestinians at it again. I mean, because there has been a history of conflict. It's easy to dismiss 
that these are real people and these are people, I mean, as you know, if you listen to my show very often, my husband's business partner is an Israeli citizen. We feel very connected to Israel. Uh, we, have, we have great respect with our, uh, as Christians in America, we have great respect for our Jewish friends in Israel and they of our Christianity. We have a wonderful relationships with people there. And my husband's been there many, many times uh, for his, his business. So I do feel particularly attached to Israel. But stepping back from that, that sense of personal attachment, Israel is the only country in that portion of the world that has anything, any semblance of modern day understanding of basic human rights, the kind of Western democracy ideals of the right of people to live in freedom. Israel has enormous freedom for everyone, including citizens of Israel who are Muslim, who are Arab, who are any religion. They have a broad sense of religious freedom over there. It's a very Western uh, democracy, uh, to use the word loosely, uh, in the middle and surrounded by a hotbed of Islamic countries who don't honor any of those what we assume to be normal, basic human rights. Israel is important strategically. I'm not going to go off on that a lot today, but it's important to America strategically. I'm not going to discuss what, if anything, America should do about this situation, but I will with our guests be talking a little bit about um, what, what it symbolizes for America if we just do nothing. But what I want to do in this first five, I want to quickly show you some images. These are people, these are not injured people. These are beautiful young people who were murdered. There's one, and we can just kind of scroll. Actually, don't, hold on. Yeah, this is a young woman, uh, obviously very, uh, she's uh, murdered at the nature party. There was like a, a festival, a nature party. She was killed there. Um, next one, if you would, please. Uh, this guy, I think is a military guy. Yep. Uh, you know, sweet face, serving his country. We can keep scrolling. Next one. Uh, I think this guy was a pilot um, and they and killed in, anyway, he was killed, I believe, in the Gaza Strip. Next. Uh, this is, you know, a sweet picture someone put up. The guy who's in the picture who's uh, obviously celebrating his, uh, I think, his wedding with his bride. Um, he was a younger brother who uh, was killed. This woman was also killed over there. And is there one more? Okay. So I want to just tell you, in addition to those pictures, because we have to personalize this, it is in, in any tragedy that occurs, as I say, you say large numbers and, oh, this many Israelis killed, this many Palestinians killed. But these are really innocent people. Many of them, uh, the one place where a lot of death occurred uh, was at a concert. It was an outdoor nature concert. Or I think it even was, had something to do with peace, if you can believe that. Two other quick stories before I turn to our guest. One was, and there, this was a grandmother living in a kibbutz, and she, the uh, Hamas murderers, broke into her home, and they grabbed her cell phone. So she's got her cell phone there. She's got a Facebook page, and they turned her Facebook page on to make a video, and then they videoed their murdering her live on her own Facebook page. That is how her family found out she'd been killed, because they saw it on her Facebook page. And the other quick story is how many babies and young children are being murdered. And they're not all Israelis. We're now hearing about Americans who are, have been killed or are missing, and many being kidnapped, women, children, uh, elderly people. Uh, and then I have a last quick clip. This is a, an Israeli, um, I believe it's an Israeli news source uh, that went in right after one of the attacks. And I just want you to hear, the reporter can hardly keep her or her act together. You can hear she's fighting back tears. Let's quick play her. David, it's 
hard to even explain exactly just the mass casualties that happened right here. In fact, the Israeli military says they still don't have a clear number, but I'm talking to some of the soldiers and they say what they've witnessed as they've been walking through these different houses, these different communities, uh, babies, their heads cut off. That's what they said. Gunned down, families completely gunned down in their beds. Okay, just babies decapitated. We'll just leave it at that. The last thing I'll do in the first five is uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has announced, he made a statement, which I'm going to play for you in just a moment. And the reason I want to do this to set up this conversation today with John Guandolo is the media in our country, the anti-American leftist media, which is pretty much a lot of it, it is, it is all the uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, I am telling you, I'm not being prophetic, I'm just, based on experience, I will tell you, very shortly, whatever Israel does to defend itself, whatever Israel engages in with respect to fighting back to this horrific unprovoked, thousands murdered, people dragged out of their homes, you're going to hear these left-wing media sources blame Israel or at least criticize Israel harshly for defending itself. Any country suffering an attack of this kind, if you didn't defend yourselves, you know, you're not even a country. You're, you're, you know, you're just a, you're, you're lost in the world. But Benjamin Netanyahu has announced they are going to pretty much take down Gaza Strip. We'll be talking about Gaza also with our guest today, but I want to play Benjamin Netanyahu's clip as the last part of our first five today. Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Once the Jewish people were stateless, once the Jewish people were defenseless, no longer. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies for decades to come. The savage attacks that Hamas perpetrated against innocent Israelis are mind-boggling, slaughtering families in their homes, massacring hundreds of young people at an outdoor festival, kidnapping scores of women, children, and elderly, even Holocaust survivors. Hamas terrorists bound, burned, and executed children. They are savages. Hamas is ISIS. And just as the forces of civilizations united to defeat ISIS, the forces of civilization must support Israel in defeating Hamas. I want to thank President Biden for his unequivocal support. I want to thank leaders across the world who are standing with Israel today. I want to thank the people and Congress of the United States of America. In fighting Hamas, Israel is not only fighting for its own people, it is fighting for every country that stands against barbarism. Israel will win this war. And when Israel wins, the entire civilized world wins. That was Benjamin Netanyahu, and um, you know, thank God he was recently reelected. And you know, he's this is going to be a story going on this show for weeks and months um, because this is more than just the latest incursion by Hamas. Uh, or any Islamic organization into Israel. Uh, this is really another wake-up call for the world to understand the threat posed uh, by Islam. 
So that's my first five. Okay, I made it in 13. That was pretty good. Okay, but anyway, I'm introducing our guest now, John Guandolo. And you know what? Uh, it was a really busy morning. I printed out a great introduction, and I, it's safely at my desk at home. So I'm just going to tell you, I've known John Guandolo a long time. Uh, he's a Naval Academy grad. Uh, he's a former FBI, a former Marine. Are you looking? I'm looking at you. Yes? No? Marine, yes. Marine. Thank you, Marine. Not former, though. Always a Marine. So, yeah, always a Marine. Always a Marine uh, with just a, an extraordinary depth of knowledge about Islam, having read many of the documents, the original documents, the Quran, uh, the following on documents, and studied it as part of his work with the FBI, and so really makes a, a career out of understanding what exactly promotes, promotes and provokes attacks like this uh, and how we Americans should deal with it. And so I'm grateful and honored to introduce uh, to you John Guandolo. Hi there. Hi. Thanks for having me again. I love being on with you. Look, great to see you. It's been a while. Yeah. Yes. So I really did have a great introduction to all these things you've done, but okay. Um, I just want to turn to, because you talk in a great length about Islam in the past, I want to start with this first point. You hear people, even this attack right now in, on Israel is being attributed to, or I mean, they're give, taking credit for, um, Hamas is doing it. So the natural inclination, like us after September 11th, well, what did Israel do to Hamas? So, I mean, and you can take as long as you want to answer this, because I, I want to... I want to reject the idea this is just a Hamas versus Israel or a Palestinians versus Israel. It's bigger than that. But just start with, why is this happening right now? So great, great place to start and allows me to lay down some foundation. So first of all, Hamas is an inherent part of a larger effort uh, called the International Muslim Brotherhood. They are an inherent part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Okay. And the Muslim Brotherhood is one Islamic movement around the world. And together, these movements, other movements like Tabligi Jamaat, Jamaat Islami, the efforts from military jihadi organizations like Al Qaeda, like ISIS, Islamic State, Hezbollah. Egyptian Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, and the nation states that support them, like Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, and many others. Um, they form what they call the global Islamic movement. And so Hamas is one piece of that. And if we go back to the 80s and early 90s and look at the strategic documents, which we recovered, the FBI actually recovered in a, uh, a warrant served in Vir Northern Virginia um, and, and back in uh, 2004. And what we found in these archives of the Muslim Brotherhood in the United States was clear indication that they were going to use the Palestinian issue and Hamas and Israel to be a focal point for recruitment and efforts in the global effort. And they have said the Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Hamas, obviously part of the Muslim Brotherhood, Iran, Hezbollah, Saudi Arabia, that the ultimate goal is to establish a global Islamic state, a caliphate, under Allah's divine law, Sharia, Islamic law. That's it. And the fact that um, their doctrine, what Hamas, Muslim Brotherhood, and the broader movement operates under, requires them when they have the ability and the resources to do so, as you said in your opening, to fight jihad. That's part of the law. You must wage jihad when you have the resources and the ability to do so. And whether it's uh, played into the decision-making of the timing, I find it interesting 
that the timing of what this weekend and today, actually the anniversaries that we're celebrating, Saturday, the day of the attack, was the anniversary of the Battle of Lepanto where the Christian fleet truly miraculously defeated the uh, Islamic naval forces, the Ottoman Empire's naval forces. Wait, what year was that? 1571. Okay, 1571. And before you, you've talked about this before. Many people who are committed to jihad as they believe is their obligation under Islam, they really keep track of history. This is not a random thought. I mean, not you, we can't necessarily claim cause and effect, but these kind of anniversaries mean a lot in the, in the, war, in the international global jihadist movement. That's right. I mean, September 10th and 11th, September 11th, the anniversary uh, of the battle at the gates of Vienna, where again, the Christians uh, held back the, uh, the Muslim forces. Monday, yesterday, was Columbus Day. 1492, Columbus is commissioned to find new trade routes because who controlled most of the Mediterranean? The Muslims at the time, the Ottoman Empire, who had conquered that, those portions of Europe. Why 1492? Because that's the year after 781 years of Spain being under Muslim control, the Spaniards came out of the mountains and defeated, retook Spain uh, in 1492, and then Columbus was commissioned. These are things we're not teaching our children, and many Americans don't know. Today, today, um, is the, uh, which is the 10th of October, is the anniversary um, of the, uh, uh, the Battle of Tours in uh, 732, which is France, and again, Christian forces defensively defending, again, all these are defensive actions to defend liberty and innocent people. Innocent as we in the West define it, not as they define it. And so back to your original question, why is Hamas doing this? This is a continuation, a continuum of jihad from 622 to today that has been unbroken. And that continuum is continuing now when they have the ability and the resources to do so they wage jihad. Hamas has said, we have, it's in their covenant what they have to do, and they're going to do it. Okay, I want to uh, quickly encapsulate those things you said, because it's so important for people to, to hear what you're saying, learn them, and be able to repeat them. Uh, one is the anniversaries of the four events you went through eventually. All these are times when Christian forces beat back against or succeeded in defeating Muslim forces. So That's this right. is a, you, you'd be ready for revenge. I mean, how dare these Christians? Uh, and then number two, the notion you, you mentioned dating back to 60, I mean, to six, uh, when, 622. 622. This is from the time of the founding of Islam. The notion of the idea of a dutiful, a, a good follower of Islam must pursue jihad, must pursue religious war against people to either force them to kill or convert, correct? Correct, and if I may, I brought may. this for your audience <coughs> Sorry. to see. This is the most widely used textbook, and there's a, a little newer edition, but it's the same, a uh, different, little different color cover, but uh, what Islam's all about. This is used to teach uh, 
10, 11, 12 year olds about Islam. In Islamic schools. U.S. Islamic schools. And if we just simply turn to this page, the three duties of a Muslim, the three duties include dawah, calling people to uh, Islam, uh, and jihad, right here. What is jihad? And here's the question. When you say, oh, well, isn't jihad, um, you know, something uh, like inner struggle, I've been told it's an inner struggle. Well, that's, that's called a lie. Islamic law legally defines jihad as warfare against non-Muslims to establish Islam on the planet. Let me just read this. If anyone dies in jihad, they automatically will go to paradise. A shaheed or martyr is described this way by Allah. Don't think those who were killed in Allah's cause are dead. They are alive, finding their bounty in the presence of Allah. And there's a picture right here. That's a picture of a tank in case the 10-year-old children are confused about what jihad is. And when it goes through here and it talks about the duties of Muslims in the Islamic State, let me just read a couple things. I'll just read this one thing. The duty of Muslim citizens is to be loyal to the Islamic State. Now, there's much more in here. My point is normative and universally taught Islam makes it lawful for them to do the things they're doing, like putting a Jordanian pilot in a cage and setting him on fire, oh, as we yeah. saw several years ago, yeah. beheading people, stoning people for adultery. This is normative. That's why they do it in countries where Islamic law is the law of the land. You know, the two most recent pupils in the Muslim community showed huge numbers of Muslims support the implementation of Sharia, and that includes a majority of Muslims in the United States. So this idea that Sharia and imposing Islamic law is just something a very small, crazy group of Muslims want, or if a lot of Muslims do want it, what Sharia is, like Dr. Kanta Ahmed lies about on Fox News and others, is that, oh, it's just like the rocks and the trees and it's my spiritual journey. That's called a lie, because 100% of all published Islamic law and 100% of all books used by Muslims to teach Muslims say this. They say what Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and Hamas say. That's very, very powerful because it, what you're reinforcing is back what, when Islam was founded, what was written in the Quran and all those following, I used to know the names of some of the following, the Hadiths and all that, they continue to push this point and many people will dismiss that and say, okay, but that was millennia ago. That was, you know, that was the dark ages or what, it wasn't dark ages, but it was long ago. And so now in the modern world, certainly they don't believe this, but what you're describing, it's very powerful what you're saying. You're describing in today, in America, Islamic schools, this is what kids are taught. You do have a duty to jihad and your final loyalty. I mean, I, I, it's very important. It's and, it's, and it's really important to understand the reason they do this is under Islamic law, in Islam, it is a capital crime for a Muslim to teach another Muslim something about Islam that's not true. So if you go to your, and by the way, it's obligatory for Muslims to lie to non-Muslims if whatever they're doing advances Islam. Yep, yeah. So once you understand that, you understand you have to read books like this. You can't go to Barnes and Noble and get some book 
written by a Muslim for you because then you're going to get some garbage. When you go and look at what they teach their children, you will always get what Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and Hamas teach their soldiers on the battlefield. It might be in softened language, but the actual thing is still the same. Okay, I want, I'm, I'm thrilled we went through that again, I, and I wish everyone could buy that book. It would, really, it would help people if you could it's see. It's online. You can, oh, it is online. You can buy wow. it okay. used for pretty cheap. Okay, I want to turn to you, though, so back to Israel for a moment. Part of what people think is, well, this is really just about, you know, Israel's, they call it the occupied territories, Gaza and Samaria and Judea. I mean, they, they argue that that is the issue going on. And one point I try to make, and I've made it great length other times, so just a summary thing here, the Palestinian people, the name Palestinian people, is not an ethnic group like, you know, my family is Norwegian, my husband's family is Greek. Those are, those are you know, countries with ethnicity and history, and I think yours is Italian. So, I mean, the point is there are ethnic groups in this world, and they have ties to history, and usually history to a particular area of the world. The, the group they call the Palestinians living in Gaza Strip is not the Palestinians of the Bible. People know that word, the Palestine, the Bible. Oh, yeah, that's in Bible times. There's no historic connection and no ethnic connection between the people living in Gaza and called Palestinians and anything like a Palestinian people rooted in that area for centuries. They were, and I'm glad you brought that point up because I'd forgotten about that, about that memorandum, that they were intentionally, they were designed that leaving people in that area who are kind of in no man's land, um, they were left there for the purpose of giving an ongoing, ongoing legitimization of violence because, you know, we have to protect the Palestinians. And that's still being played out today. That's right. And here's an interesting point that uh, it's good to bring up uh, today with all this going on is uh, how I ask uh, people, OK, when, when you're when you're a non-Muslim, when you're a Christian or some somebody else and you're pleading the cause of the Palestinians, this made up group of people made up, right? made up group of people. Um, let's just ask, how do the Jordanians treat the Palestinians? How do the, the Muslim leaders in uh, Oman or, or uh, Qatar, Qatar or Saudi Arabia, they treat them like fifth-class citizens. They treat them like garbage because they don't give a crud about them. They're using them as pawns for the broader Islamic movement. That's it. So the idea that the whole Muslim community comes around them because they care, they do not. They don't care about them. It's a, it's a pawn. We have the, the documents from these Islamic movements where they say, this is why we do this. These people it's merely a cause to recruit for the global jihad, to raise money, and to actually win. That's all it is. And to give an endless cause of complaint against the Jewish state. That's endless right. cause of complaint against Israel. Okay, so which leads me to the next point, because I think many Americans, we like to assume rationality in other people. We, we kind of inherently do. But even when something pretty bizarre happens, you know, why did that happen? And the other thing we assume is, well, we can negotiate, we can solve this by negotiation. And many people said, well, how about the two-state solution? I mean, why don't we just go over there, let Israel keep Israel, and, uh, you know, whatever area you're going to claim is Gaza, or the, the Muslims like to call the West Bank, the, the Jews call it uh, Judea and Samaria, you know, carve out an area and give it to them. And that is when that solution is offered, then it sounds like, well, if Israelis say no thanks, well, they're not willing to negotiate. And you know, I want to get around to elaborating on this point. There's no point in negotiating 
with someone whose primary mission is to kill you and to remove you and all Jews from the planet. There's nothing to negotiate. Am I wrong? You are absolutely right. And uh, I would ask those people saying that. So while these guys are sawing off the heads of babies, literally, yes. what is it you will find common ground on? This, these aren't just dumb people. These are dangerous people, and they're either catastrophically stupid and need to be moved out of the way and have no part in any decision-making in this war, right? Or they are actually intentionally impeding our ability, Israel's ability, free people's ability to crush and defeat their enemies. And this goes, it, it potentially opens a huge door discussion, but I'll, I'll keep it narrow. In that video you played, Benjamin Netanyahu said, we will win this war. Well, I, I'm curious if they're actually going to wage the war, because if they want to defeat Hamas, are they going to defeat the leading funder of Hamas, which is Iran, which really? is also at their doorstep? Are they going to defeat the countries supporting Iran, the banks around the world, like the ones in London and Berlin supporting this are they going to take those out too? But it, I'm just asking the question because you have Europeans and Americans and Canadians who are funding Hamas. You've got the largest Hamas network in the world isn't in Gaza. It's in the United States. And so what are we doing about that? I'm going to get to that. And I want and okay. really for sure on Hamas in America. Um, I did want to turn to Iran briefly because there was a big, uh, many people are making, pointing out it was whatever it was, six or seven weeks ago when Biden said we're going to give, uh, President Biden said we're going to give Iran $6 billion. I mean, it was just the most crazy thing. It was, it was you know, the arguments been made, well, it's kind of their money. But, uh, but I want to get the point. When you give money to a, a terror state, they're, they're Iranian mullahs are jihadists in, you know, in costume. They are just jihadists, and they want very much for Islam to control the world. They, they want the caliphate, and you send them money, aren't you? You're enabling and, and enabling and abetting everything that they do. You're funding what they do. They fund, we fund Iran, they turn around and fund Hamas, correct? That's correct, and I just have to ask the logical question. Knowing what you just said, it's the largest state sponsor of terrorism. Right. Why would you ever release any of their money? Ever. Of course not. Ever. ever. Right. Right. You it's like keep the it and you use it. We use it to fight them. <laughs> I mean, this is six billion dollars we're going to use to crush the Iranian military, to kill their leaders and to actually win the war. Because and who, by the way, if we've forgotten Iran directly involved in 9-11, right? Saudi intelligence, Saudi government officials, including Prince Bandar, the ambassador of the United States, directly involved in 9-11. Let's use that $6 billion and use it to take those two nation states down to the ground. To your earlier point about what is it exactly, how much does um, Benjamin Netanyahu mean they're willing to do? You know, I just think the notion of reestablishing firm, you know, uh, no jihadists allowed, you know, I mean, he's talked about flattening Gaza. In fact, I had one story of how many buildings they've knocked down already. I mean, they are bombing Gaza and I feel terrible for the innocent 
people. And I think part of what they were, one story was reporting was that these people being kidnapped, the Hamas people in Israel kidnapping Israelis or Americans or whoever they are, uh, people there, and putting them over into Gaza, they're, they're kind of saying, yeah, now they're daring Israel. You're going to go ahead and shoot now we have all these citizens here? And that is that is Benjamin Netanyahu's decision. You know, you just, you're going to have some, some very sadly going to have some victims, but if you let Hamas get away with that, said we can't fire now because we have Israelis there, then they won. That's right. You know, uh, during World War II, we firebombed Dresden and uh, over 100,000 people were killed. And it was to break the back of the enemy. And I would argue our military generals, who are uh, most of whom I would argue almost all of them are criminally negligent because they lost the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, quite frankly, parts of Africa, uh, because they were cowardly and they were ignorant and they decided they didn't need to know the enemy. Western leaders, really presidents since Mr. Clinton all the way forward to today, decided we're not going to deal with this. Um, we think we can massage this. We don't have to actually have complete victory, utterly defeat the enemy or have total surrender, unconditional surrender. And so... And, and let me bring it back. Hamas, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, the Muslim Brotherhood, Tabliki Jamaat, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Qatar, all these terrorist nations, terrorist organizations, and terrorist groups, they all abide, according to them, by Islamic law. For them to stop jihad, you have to obliterate them to the point that they have to stop. In other words, they realize, so if after 9-11, we had destroyed the Iranian military, we had destroyed, you know, Mecca, for instance, destroyed it and destroyed the Saudi regime with a plan to go in and seize control, like real war, not go kill some out, just some Al Qaeda guys. I will put money on the table that's good money that you would have seen it stop. They have to fight jihad when they have the means and the resources. When, when they are seeing defeat after defeat after defeat, then they know it's not jihad because Allah does not lose wars. That's their perspective. They have to feel utterly defeated. And nobody's made them to feel that in the last, well, maybe since 1571 or so, 1683, maybe the gates of Vienna. Well, you know what else happens is we had, like, obviously the horrible attack on 9-11 in America. People woke up. And then we had a few other terrorist attacks, Islamic jihadist attacks in America. And we, so, and we had huge ones in the UK, other places happening in France. And so for a while, there was a lot of activity. And, and it was all attributed to very violent activity, attributed to jihadists. But then it quiets down, and we haven't heard much recently. I'm not saying it's not, but I mean, it, it causes you when you don't understand what's motivating this, and you don't understand what is, that Islam is teaching this, requiring it, and pushing it. You think, oh, well, they've, they've settled down now. They, they've given up on that. Until you realize what you're describing, you'll always be thinking maybe it's over, maybe it was time to move on, and you'll always be wrong. Yes. I did a 30-minute video on YouTube called The Continuum of Jihad. On, our, on, uh, uh, on YouTube and literally started in 622 and just walked it forward and looked at the jihads historically, even used a battle map that Bill Warner put together because it was such a useful tool. 
and, and walk people through right up to today. And here we are right to today. It has been, now there are times when it ebbs and flows, but that's because they can't wage jihad when they don't have the ability. So when the Brits and others had their boot on the neck of some of these countries, we saw it subside. And when in the early 1900s that boot came off and the Muslim Brotherhood was established and they hit oil in Saudi Arabia, right? And what do we see in the early 60s? Hijackings and yeah. all sorts of things start ramping up because when they have the ability and the resources, they must do it and they're doing it. And the weaker our leaders are, the way they view that is they have to fight more brutally and harder. So I would argue that what the West, what Israel and the United States have seen is because our leaders have been, have tried to appease these people, tried to negotiate with them. Try to There's negotiate, no try to appease. Yeah, absolutely not. And I, I guess we hit on Iran enough, although I do think that uh, when under President Obama, he tried to do the Iranian nuclear deal, which I can't remember if you were on my show, any, many national security experts around my show talking about, this is an absolute concession to these people. It was, it was a ridiculous concession, the terms of the deal, simply they were going to keep developing nuclear weapons and we were going to be waving, going to be like, um, who's Churchill's, the, uh, um, the guy in England who came back waving a paper from Hitler saying, peace in our Neville time, Chamberlain, Neville yeah. Chamberlain. That was like, we came back from these Iranian negotiations. Look, look, we got a deal. Anyway, but I want to jump back because I want to run out of time. I want to jump forward to America. So our current, he who occupies the White House um, has had a, an absolute open uh, southern border policy. I mean, he's not even pretending to enforce the border. It's just a big joke down there. And everyone who lives anywhere near knows it. So at this time, we've talked about, uh, on the show, I've talked about how the number of people who are crossing into America, across the southern border, who are Chinese military age fighting men, you know, fighting age men from China. We have uncounted numbers of people. We don't even know who's here. They don't even get detained at the border. They just come in, get on the bus, whoever's arranged for them, and go off. And so there's great concern, even just within the last three years, of people who've entered America. But even prior to the Biden let's not have a southern border policy. We had, we had portions, we had people in America, uh, we had Islamic jihadists, we had people who came here because of our immigration policies. And so we had little nests of, or maybe big nests of Islamic jihadists plotted around the country, including, you said a few months ago, the biggest concentration of Hamas in the world is in America. So where are they? How long have they been here? And what the heck are they doing? Well, that's a big question. Okay, yeah. let me see if I can tightly answer this. In one minute, no. <laughs> so, yeah, one, one minute or less. So, uh, the hub for Hamas in the United States is Chicago. Number two is right here, Dallas, Texas. And uh, it, it's worth noting, since we're in Dallas, there have been more terrorist attacks in the United States in Texas than any other state. And those attacks primarily have been by Hamas, Muslim Brotherhood, uh, trained and supported individuals uh, and groups. So, uh, and, and again, we could go through a whole litany of them, but that we've, I've done that. We've actually talked about some of this on your show before. Um, you have the Holy Land Foundation trial, which we've talked about extensively. I only want to talk about it to remind your audience. It was the largest terrorism financing trial in U.S. history. It was adjudicated in 2008 right here in Dallas. The evidence revealed that the Holy Land Foundation for Relief and Development, the largest Islamic charity in America at the time, was a Hamas terrorist group. 
They're right here in Richardson, just north of Dallas, on the north side of Dallas, Texas. The evidence also showed that the largest Islamic organizations in the United States are Hamas Muslim Brotherhood, whether it's Council on American Islamic Relations, Islamic Society in North America, U.S. Council of Muslim Organizations, Islamic Circle of North America, Muslim American Society, the Muslim Students Association, which has over a thousand chapters on every major college and, and university campus in America, and many, many more. And, and here's the point. What's happening from the border, we know that Hamas works with Al-Qaeda. We know Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood work directly with Iran. We saw it in Iraq and Afghanistan, where, for instance, in Iraq, Iran was providing weapons and munitions to Al-Qaeda, right? And our in intel analysts tell us, well, the Sunni and the Shia, they don't work together. They hate each other. Well, you're a moron if you say that. <laughs> you're wrong, and you are obviously unprofessional because it goes on because they will work together <clears throat> in order to support one another. Yes, they can provide, Iran can provide weapons, so Shia, Iran, Sunni, Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda, they can provide weapons to them on the one hand, while on the other hand, a Sunni can attack the Iranian embassy in Lebanon, for instance. Yes, and that's mm -hmm. how they yep. think. Yep. And if that doesn't make sense to you, that's your problem, not their problem, right? Yep. That's yep. how they operate. In the United States, you have, we can go back to the 1990s where Abdurrahman Alamudi was the Islamic advisor to President Clinton. He was not only the most senior Muslim Brotherhood Hamas leader in the United States at the time, he was a financier for Al-Qaeda and was sentenced to 23 years in federal prison. So how's the vetting going at the Secret Service and the FBI? Fast forward to today, where a guy named Farouk Mitha, a Hamas operative from a Hamas group called M-Gage, was the Islamic advisor to Joe Biden. Now, why they need an American president needs an Islamic advisor, I don't know, but he had an Islamic advisor for his campaign, put him in the government, and prior to his taking office, Joe Biden, engaged Hamas, had a fundraiser for Joe Biden, and online when he spoke to them, he said, I'm gonna make sure we get your people into the government, into my administration. So this is the guy who a few days ago said, oh, we're with Israel, you know, full stop. Well, that's just, that's garbage because he is promoting not only $6 billion to the largest state-sponsored terrorism, openly promoting Hamas in the United States, which is a violation of numerous laws. And I've heard people argue treason and other things, which I would concur. I, I, I'm so glad you're pointing out all this. Is it your sense that Joe Biden understands what all of these people are, these people I want to bring your people into my government, does he understand anything we're talking about? Does he understand that they actually want to take down Jews and Israel and Christianity in America? Does he understand anything about this Islamic doctrine that says jihad must happen? Or is he just, I mean, how could someone in that position, even if he wouldn't personally know, why wouldn't he have advisors telling him? So he, so he does know when he lets them in or he just is stupid and doesn't know? So I'm going to answer the question this way. It doesn't matter whether he knows. And let me, let me explain that. In this war, like if I were to point out uh, on both sides of the political aisle, the people that have uh, taken actions that have advanced the communist and Islamic movements in the United States, it matters not if they know. But as a former combat vet, let me say this. If you stand in the enemy camp 
and you hold a mortar over a mortar tube and you let it go and it fires my direction, you're the freaking enemy. And you don't even, you can say, well, all I was told to do was go like this. Every seven seconds I go like this. That's all I do. I don't really know anything about, I don't even know where that thing's pointed. It doesn't matter. You're, you're an enemy of the patriots of the United States, of the Constitution, and that is the fact. So it doesn't matter if we just look at what he's doing, because the law doesn't, if you're doing this, if you're funding terrorism, the law doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, you didn't know? Oh, well, then it's No, no, I'm not asking to excuse him. I know you're not. But I'm just asking to say, people in this country think, well, come on, Biden wouldn't seriously be trying to hurt us. He just must not know. And I want to make the point, that is garbage. Of course he knows. Or, of course, people underneath him know. He doesn't get the excuse of saying, well, you know, geez, this seemed like a nice guy, and I'm into diversity, equity, and inclusion, so I like DEI so much, I brought these Muslims. He doesn't get that excuse. And even to Hillary Clinton, when she came along, and she was astonishingly friendly toward Islamic jihadists in America. I mean, I'm frustrated with the notion that they kind of get away with it because most people say, well, either they don't believe it's a problem or if it's a problem, they must not have known. And that's the only reason it does matter, because they know. And so let let me put a fine point on that. You are correct, but the professional standard, anybody that works in government, or in local, not just federal government, local government, who's a police officer, who's in the military, and judge, you swear an oath to the Constitution. That oath is a legally binding oath that requires you, right, to swear an allegiance against all enemies, that's the legal word, enemies, foreign and domestic. The professional canons make that, therefore, you have an obligation to know all enemies or do due diligence to know all enemies. Figure it out. And since what you and I have been talking about is in the unclassified sphere, this information is easily obtainable. The evidence from the Holy Land Foundation trial, the evidence against Iran, the evidence against Saudi Arabia uh, actually participating in preparations for and directly supporting hijackers that participate in Iran, it's all there. So. If you're in a position of authority in the national security realm, you're the national security advisor, you're the secretary of state, you're the, you know, one of these people, the president of the United States, you don't get to say, I don't know. That makes you criminally negligent. No, I'm totally agreeing. Okay, I want to ask you something really quick about this. So, uh, okay, see what time it is. Okay. So you have, a st- have done a tremendous job of study, immerse yourself in studying the various groups that are in America, they, whether they're Hamas or some other you know, related group of, of jihadists are all over the country. They, we see what they are doing to Israel. We see what they've done in America, in Texas, everywhere else in America, all over the world. And our intelligence agencies does not appear are even investigating them. I recall this, I think it was under Trump. I, I, anyway, some recent presidency, where there was a complaint about how the intelligence agencies cannot particularly isolate uh, one religion over another, as though that was a serious point to make. But I'm getting at, we have our intelligence agencies targeting parents who show up at school boards who complain about critical race theory or transgendering kindergartners or something absurd, and yet, to your, to your understanding, are the intelligence agencies looking into all these groups you just recount are here? Are they monitoring them or are we just letting it happen? So it's not just they're letting it happen. They're uh, our FBI, CIA, DHS, 
um, and others inside our government, NSA. Uh, they don't uh, know it because besides the training programs I ran in 2006, 2007, there's never been any other training inside the federal government on the, this, these things we're talking about, on the doctrine that motivates them, how they're all tied together, how they work together. That doesn't exist in the government. That's number one. Number, number two, if you go to the FBI's website under their page, quote, our outreach partners, the three Islamic groups listed, the Adams Center, Muslim Public Affairs Council, Muslim Advocates, those are all Hamas Muslim Brotherhood groups. So let's start there. Uh, the, that should give you a clue. You've got guys like Mohammed Majid, a senior Hamas Muslim Brotherhood leader in the United States, who was given the FBI Director's Award by James Comey. He currently, I could go through a whole litany of things, but Apparently. <laughs> he, cur he currently was, he was appointed by President Joe Biden to be a commissioner on the, uh, uh, on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. And he's a Hamas Muslim Brotherhood guy, Mohammed Majid. And we could go through a whole list of people like that. The State Department vetted and approved for training five times a guy named Gulmurad Kalimov, who is an ISIS commander. And he did weapons and tactics training in the United States. And the defense, when it was pointed out publicly to the State Department that they trained an ISIS commander, was, hey, we vetted him. Well, obviously, your, your vetting program is broken. Yeah. And it, we could give these examples all day. I think having an al-Qaeda financier, Alamudi, as the advisor to the President of the United States for eight years, who, by the way, Alamudi was also a goodwill ambassador for the State Department, founded the Muslim Chaplain Program for Department of Defense, and he's al-Qaeda, also a, a Hamas guy. So what do we do with all this? Well, the answer is, I'm going back to what you said. At what point do we stop saying these people are incompetent and say that our FBI and CIA and DHS, not everyone who's in the employ of them, but the people making decisions are purposefully aiding and abetting terrorists, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, ISIS, Hamas, and they are. And so, uh, and by the way, this thing uh, about targeting citizens, we briefed this to senators and congressmen, myself and Steve Coughlin, in 2007 and 8, that this is where this is going, that because of the, the programs that the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood and the International Muslim Brotherhood was laying out, was going to target citizens, patriots, and provide aid and comfort to Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and then eventually ISIS, but at that time ISIS didn't exist. Yeah, and that's where we are. Yeah, it sure is where we are. I see the time. Um, you know, I want to um, to, your, to your very last point. I haven't talked about that in the show very much yet, but there was talk. Uh, Newsweek actually ran the story that the FBI, the Newsweek, ran, FBI is targeting basically MAGA people, conservatives who support President Trump's. Even if you don't like, you or don't like Trump, you support the MAGA agenda. And it's, I was just struck by that thinking. For most of the time, at least I recall being a sentient adult, I would have thought that would be alarm bells going off, that you have the FBI's choosing political 
opponents and are, are choosing politically acceptable views or not, and, and just and letting it go, which is a great segue into this. I, I don't have a lot of time left, so you can say it all for us. Let me quick do this. Hey, Emilio over there. Okay. Um, you know what? I was going to play, uh, you all know the clip. We're not going to play the deplorables one, but Hillary Clinton um, did a, um, she, the famous quote where she said that, you know, all these people who like Trump are deplorables. And so, which, of course, gave rise to a bunch of groups around the country called the deplorables. Uh, but she also had a recent interview on CNN with, um, I forget her first name, Amanpour, the reporter. And Hillary had a little clip of Hillary from that, if you can quick play that. I saw uh, the number of Republicans who voted along with Democrats to keep the government open. So there's clearly a common sense, uh, you know, sane uh, part of the Republican caucus in the House. Um, but I think they are intimidated. Uh, they um, oftentimes, you know, say and do things which they know better than to say or do. And it will require us defeating those most extreme measures uh, and the people who promote them in order to try to get to some common ground where people can, again, work together. That's the way it used to be. I mean, we had very strong partisans in both parties in the past. Uh, and we had very bitter battles over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. But there wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. Mm -hmm. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And how do okay. We'll probably talk about this a lot over the next several weeks. She's actually using, Hillary Clinton is schooled enough She's not saying those words because they just pop in her head sitting there talking in that interview. The concept of deprogramming people who don't support her viewpoints. I wanted to play that. It may seem like a big jump I made from our topic from today. And, and John, so here you can chime in if he wants. But it is beyond troubling that a former candidate for president, two-time candidate for president, former secretary of state, former senator, who's guilty of more actual crimes than, than, than any other official I'm aware of, and maybe there are others who are worse, I don't know, but this is a woman who is still held up in such high regard that she's on CNN by being interviewed by Amanpour, talking away about Donald Trump, and I really want, I mean, there's so many angles to go on this, but the one I want to make the point is, it is so preposterous, a woman who's, you know, destroyed evidence. The woman who cooked up the entire Trump-Russia collusion. Actually, they had John Brennan signed a little note saying, well, it turns out Hillary created the whole dang thing. Hillary and team. This is a woman guilty of misleading our country. I mean, the level of absurdity that she's at, that she can sit there with a straight face and talk about being concerned about Donald Trump being extreme, when what she has done to this country, criminal behavior, and the entire direction of our country uh, under her party, it is just, we've reached a level of, of absurdity that I just, I, I couldn't let it go and not fit it in today's show. Um, 
I want to get that, and we'll go back to it another day. But I do want to tell you, and actually, you may want to comment about this too, John. But so my friend, Shi Van Fleet, she's been on the show before. She lives in Virginia. She lived uh, in China under Mao Zedong. She's trying to. She has a new book out uh, talking about um, people being programmed. She pounced on this interview I just played for you. Shi Van Fleet is X I Van Fleet. Uh, pounced on it to say this is not. This is uh, the idea that a government official or quasi-government official would actually be saying Trump supporters, uh, this is no joke, talking about deprogramming, this is alarming. And she's, everything the left does as they drag us further left and further away from freedom and further away from the basic ideas of America is little by little, they legitimize everything they do and then you get silenced into not wanting to question things because you don't want to be the one who's going to be targeted by them, be the one who is uh, pilloried by, by all of their attacks. I was just blown away by the reaction of Shivan Fleet to this, my, my friend, she, to what Hillary said. She said, this is how Mao got started. He got started by talking about deprogramming people who don't agree with you. And I'm going to make a tie, I swear. You, you look like you have a point to make. I want to make, but I'll let you go ahead. This is what happens when you can't talk about Islam and what it really does, because you've been deprogrammed or you've been programmed to say, well, we don't say that, we don't go there. So you're like marching to your defeat because you can't, or you, to your death, because you can't speak up about the danger of Islam. Well, and it, uh, it let's just go back to Hillary Clinton is a student of the uh, Marxist communist revolutionary Saul Alinsky, uh, whose book, uh, Rules for Radicals, is about Marxist revolutionary operations targeting the United States. And by the way, the book's dedicated to Satan. So uh, just something there. She's that, that's who she is. And she has been, uh, if you look at her circle of people, they are radicals, they're communists, they're jihadis. Uh, she's been surrounding herself with them for decades. That's, this is no news. But I, you make a point here because the target of especially the communist movement, but this whole effort more broadly is, is reason thought. Yes. So part of what the, a huge part of undercutting it. So you can get people to say, oh, there are more than just two sexes, right? Yeah. There are 89 different Genders. things out there. Uh, well, they're not. And two plus two always equals four, but you've got people uh, in positions of academia and authority saying, well, you don't know, two, two plus two doesn't always equal four. No, it actually does. But when you've destroyed reason thought, you can actually make these nonsensical uh, arguments. And when you say that what you're saying about what you just said, for instance, about Mrs. Clinton or what is true, hey, just because Islam teaches it to their children in every Islamic school in America and Europe and Asia and Africa, and just because every one of the jihadis we've captured or killed uh, has said or testified in open court or has made videos that this is why they're doing it to establish an Islamic state under Sharia, and it's a command from Allah to do so. The, all those people, that they're all the radicals. And these five people that I have over here, this is true Islam. Well, you know what? It doesn't even matter if that's true. The bottom line is there's a massive global movement that's an Islamic movement. There's a massive global communist movement. And they have a doctrine, a network, and modus operandi and strategies. And, and they're working together and they're doing it. And she is nothing less than a spokeswoman 
for uh, the enemies of the United States. And she's proven it, by the way, by committing espionage, not being uh, charged with it, uh, because her crony, by the way, James Comey, communist, admitted, 2003 October New York Magazine article, admitted it. So these are real communists and real jihadis really working together inside the United States. And that's why we are where we are. And part, in my belief, of why Israel uh, is where it is, is because that movement has penetrated that community too. You had a lot of people in Israel over the last several years wanting to appease Hamas and those in Gaza. And this is the natural outcome. 9-11 and what happened in America after 9-11, blaming ourselves. Mr. Bush turning to his right, to his Islamic advisors who were all Al-Qaeda, Hamas, Muslim Brotherhood. And so we get what we deserve, honestly. And it's up to the American people to actually take back your local counties and then hopefully eventually big portions of your state. But this is, this is as bad as it's ever been in the West. And on that cheerful note, I can't believe we're out of time. No, but actually, I don't mean to make light of it. John, I am so grateful for you, amazed by what you understand, what you continue to study, what you put together, what you present. So I just really, really appreciate everything. I'm so glad you're available today. Thank, Thank you. you very much. You know, we are sadly, my friends, out of time. I close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show, it seems like, hours ago. Uh, we started, um, this is on um, Israel's brutal 9-11. It was their 9-11 this past weekend, and their robust defense. Hamas atrocities and attack on Israel are unspeakable. Such barbaric savagery is unknown to much of the under-40 crowd throughout the world. This is what is meant by the idea of an existential threat to Western civilization. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has set the right standard for responding. There's no such thing as an appropriately restrained response to this barbarity. Complete unconditional removal of the Hamas presence in Gaza is essential to Israel's survival. Expect mainstream media narratives to begin questioning the harshness of Israel's response. Do not buy into them. There is zero chance of preserving civilization while tolerating an ideology which condones beheading of babies and helpless grandmas. America does have an interest in defeating this evil. Time will soon determine what that involvement should or must be. And on Hillary's psychosis and conspiracy theories, Hillary Clinton openly calls for deprogramming the deplorables for their unacceptable support of Trump. She wasn't joking. Communist regime refugees will tell you, as she Van Fleet has done, this is extremely dangerous talk from a politician. This is the same woman who launched a fabricated dossier to oust the duly elected president of the United States, destroyed official government secretary of state emails on an illegal server maintained in her home. According to Patrick Byrne, and if you didn't hear that interview in August with Patrick Byrne, go back on my website and listen to it. Mind-blowing. Accepted multi-million dollar bribes from foreign interests, yet claims the transparently baseless political indictments of Trump must be accepted by the American people as serious, as serious and disqualifying of Trump. Ed Dow's perfect summary of Hillary's call for deprogramming. Gaslighting, projection, and unhinged totalitarianism. The trifecta. That, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. On Thursday of this week, uh, we have Steve Dace joining us. 
who's a podcaster in Iowa. A uh, little bit of cervix, a little bit entertaining. Uh, it'll be really, really great. So do tune in Thursday. As I tell you at the close of every show, my name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is called America Can We Talk. You can find it online at americacanwetalk.org. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-